0: You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Everybody, welcome to the Phonesis podcast. Thank you so much for checking in. As always, today, I have a good friend, Dr. Matthew Sochik. He has been teaching for over 20 years. He's currently an assistant professor of leadership development at the University of Florida. Dr. Matt serves as a faculty member for the Challenge 2050 Project, a program aimed at developing human capacity and leadership to meet the challenges of a growing population. Originally from Wilkes-Barre, PA, Dr. Sochik earned his Bachelor of Arts at Wilkes University, majoring in psychology and business. His Master of Arts is an organizational leadership from Columbia University. He followed up with that, getting his doctorate in leadership studies from Gonzaga, another fellow, at, fellow Jesuit institution. Dr. Sochik focuses research on humility and the creation of organizational leadership programs. He also teaches both at the undergraduate and graduate level. And he is focused on interpersonal leadership development, organizational leadership, and advanced leadership theory. Outside of his research and teaching, Sochik serves as a consultant to the New York Times, where he focuses on the newspaper's educational programming for faculty and students within leadership studies. He has been awarded with the wilkes Berry. Presenter of the Year Award. He has won SAGE's Outstanding Leadership Scholar of the Year in 2019 through the Association of Leadership Educators. He has been Teacher of the Year, and he is just an all around great guy. And I'm excited to catch up with you today, Matt, and have a conversation and hear what you've been up to. But before we do that, what else do listeners need to know about you?
1: It's always nice to have a really big introduction like that, where especially when you end with awards and then we jump right into how I talk about humility. That's that's always a really good connection in that process. <laughs> so I appreciate that. That was so nice. I should have you follow around and kind of announce me when I walk into rooms. I, you know, the, the one thing you miss, the one thing that's really important to me, probably the most important to me is I'm a father. I mean, that's, that's really the, the most important, you know, job role that I have. I have two wonderful kids, I kind of always tell the story when I get started introducing myself, whether it's at a presentation. I have these two kids who who are just amazing. They're wonderful. They're now 12 and 10. I can't even believe that they're that old. They're going to be celebrating their birthday next month. Carter is the older one. He's kind and sweet. And and if he did anything wrong, he tricked me into believing that raising children was really easy. So we had <laughs> Chase. And Chase is, is amazing, too. But every gray hair... On my head in that process and, and when I introduce myself I always say the two two things that I had to do and you know this two things you take on different roles the two things I had to do is the birds and bees talk and when they turn 45 I can't wait to give that to them that's going to be great <laughs> and the second thing was this idea of potty training and so when they turn three and maybe you feel the same way I do. I, I kind of go into this research mode whenever I have to solve a problem. So I'm reading and I'm I'm listening to whether it's podcasts or looking online. And when Carter turned three, what I heard, what the theme was over and over, is you toss a couple of Cheerios into a into the bowl and you line them up. And I did my best Tony Robbins speech, and I made him walk across coals and I lined them up and he delivered and I couldn't be more proud in that moment, kind of pounding my chest, earning my, you know, number one dad mug. And nice. when Chase turned three, the same thing, like I went after it, same Tony Robbins speech, same walk across coals. I threw them in there and and Chase lined up and then he reached in and he ate them. And I thought like, what the, so it's no. this idea of like human behavior. I can't wait to talk to you today about that. So I, I'm a father, I'm a teacher, I'm a researcher all those good things.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, I I need to have an expert on, I I need to, I mean, yes, family, right? I mean, I think even through the pandemic, it was a leadership challenge for my wife and I, we were a team. How do you work together to, how do you lead your children and influence your children? Yes. The potty trading. And, you know, I, I've never told the story of the podcast, but when we were to, when it was time for us to have our children no longer use the oh my gosh what what they what are those things called when they when they are like a binky or something yeah like a binky when when it was time to get rid of the binky that's what we'll call it because i can't literally think of the name of it we said to our daughters hey here's how this works we go to the zoo and we give your binkies to the elephants. And that's what we do. They, they take them when you turn two. And they were like, really? And we were like, yep. So maybe this is not the best parenting because we are kind of lying to our children. But we said, look, you know, they need them actually, it was the monkeys when we started off. It was the monkeys. So my wife and I are driving to the zoo. It's the big day. It's arrived. And, and we're kind of, the girls are feeling a little anxious about getting rid of their binkies. their pacifiers is the word I was looking for. Pacifier, yes. And that's right. Yes, yes. And so... We, we, were, we kind of built it up. You're going to give them to the monkeys. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. My wife and I are having this kind of challenging day. We're kind of, kind of going back and forth with one another. We get to the zoo, we get to the monkeys, and there isn't a monkey in the cage. <laughs> <laughs> and we built this up for our daughters. Where are the monkeys? And so my wife looks at me and she goes, Elephants need them too. And so we just marched over to the elephants and we left them on a little curb. And then we said goodbye and we waved to the binkies. And so you just reminded me of that story. And we then went to some store and got big. Girl, uh, pillows and blankets, and it was a it was a day. So, but you reminded me of
1: that story. But that's not oh. what we're talking about today.
0: But it is. It's a leadership challenge, right? Influencing
1: and no, yeah. I, I think what we are going to talk about is that idea of humility, and they're all humbling moments when you hit that. You're, you build it up, you build it up, and then your wife looks at you, and you look at her, and you're like, "Oh man, where do we go?" And that's, that's that humbling moment that you have. That parenting can uh, like. Everything else can humble you pretty quickly.
0: Yes. Well, let's go there. So tell me about your latest efforts, your latest work. I'm excited to learn more.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, very similar to, to you, found some passion in a particular subject area. And over the last decade, kind of put my time and energy into talking about it and researching it and finding people's stories and talking to people who knew far more than I did about it. And decided to write this book called the h factor and it really talks about humility and how important humility is in leadership and how so often it's overlooked it's overlooked in our leadership education programs it's overlooked in our organizational programs and then it it isn't practiced and we're shocked when it's not practiced and Mm. the book really goes into kind of the why humility is important why it's not practiced who needs humility and then ultimately there's this, how do we develop humility and how can we put that back into leadership programs?
0: So talk about that. So I have, this is a topic I've never, I mean, obviously I intuitively understand the concept, but take us into some things that you learned about the topic that kind of stood out for you, because I've never, I don't even know that I've ever really seen a, 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 an academic paper on the topic, but I'm sure it's a whole universe. Is that accurate?
1: You know, I think people tend to stay away from it. And I'll tell you, why in just a minute, I think where I came from or how I got here is uh, I I was originally reading Jim Collins' book many, many years ago, and he he comes out and talks about that level five leader, and and the book has sold 4 million copies. It's wildly successful. It's on every manager's bookshelf proudly displayed there, and he talks about this idea of humility and determination as being the two key pieces that really great leaders have, yet you don't see it often. And, and you don't no. hear people talk about humility a lot. And there's a story that goes into in why I call it the H factor. But this idea of I was watching the X factor show with my stepdaughter and this young singer came up and he was he sang in Spanish and it was beautiful and it was amazing. But then he then he came up and talked to the judges and he was really chauvinistic. I mean, he's just like, hey, woman, would you think sort of thing? And and at that point in time, I think it was like Demi Lovato or somebody who said, geez, you know what's even sexier than singing in Spanish is humility. I can't believe it. And he just kept going and he kept whacking at these judges. And I thought like, geez, that's really important. This idea of humility becomes really important, even if technically you can sing really well. But then out of the blue, all four judges give him a yes and move him on. And it was like this shocking moment of like, but it's not. like. Technically, we care so much more about what someone can do in the moment than that idea of humility, that idea of character. And the reason it resonated so much with me was my daughter was sitting there and didn't even didn't even face her. And I I thought at that moment, and it was kind of the moment with social media and it's where we've gotten to now. And definitely something that I think you've seen where we really lack some humility in how we present ourselves. We lack humility in how we present leadership to some degree. The reason why – and in, in Colin's book, he actually suggests that the, the X factor isn't personality, it's humility, and that's kind of where this, this topic comes from. But the reason we don't is if you think about our leadership education, if you think about our leadership theory, if you think about us practicing leadership, it's very Western-based. It's very U.S.-centric. I mean, that's not something that you know. I'm yep. telling you that you don't know. And out of that comes this individualistic, you can do it on your own. You don't need other people. There's this thought that, you know, we have to put perfection out there, that we only evaluate leaders if they win a certain amount of games or they get reelected or if they make enough money for the shareholders within a very limited pound, you know, point of time in that process. And that becomes really problem some for humility because humility suggests that we're looking long term, that we're understanding that everyone's connected, that we have a bigger purpose. And it's not just in those, you know, 10 wins or getting elected. So I think America is set up not to promote humility as being kind of that core value. And then I think our business schools and, you know, I we wrote a paper not, not too long ago. It's been a couple of years now. But we, we talk about business schools and their mission for for leadership. Yet, Sixteen percent higher narcissism rates in business schools than any other school in universities. And you start talking hmm. about what type of people are coming in, and if we don't train them to be humble, that becomes really problem some in the, you know, in this process.
0: What does the research say on humility? I mean, what academic work has been done? I again, I just I kind of haven't seen anything. But what stood out for you?
1: You know what I loved about the topic was. So once you start to explore it, and I had not seen much on it other than Colin's stuff. uh, So the more I kind of looked into it, and the book really kind of goes into this, it's an amazing piece. And I know when you write about emotional intelligence, there's some similarities in that. And and I Mm. would argue that Goldman and Meredith, like they set the stage for B'nai Brown to to talk about vulnerability and be okay with that. And now I think we're at the point where we can start to talk about humility as being something that really resonates in our culture, in our organizations, and I found that. So, in the hmm. book, I, you know, and throughout the process, I had some wonderful interviews. One of those was with Laszlo Bach, who used to be the vice president of Google, and he talked a lot about this idea of when he first got to Google in the '90s. They used to do those really crazy questions. I don't. Maybe you've seen the movie The Internship with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Yeah. And they're, and they're getting interviewed in the movie, and they ask, if you're shrunk to the size of uh, a nickel and you're trying to jump out of a blender, how do you do it? And they're uh, brilliant. They say, you know, we wait for it to break, and then we jump out, and we're these tiny humans that saved the world. And all the Google people are like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do with this. But those were really true questions. That was a question. How many manhole covers were in New York City was a you know an interview question. It's 10 times harder to get into Google than it is Harvard. They got really smart people, and their belief was that if we asked really crazy questions and shook them up at that moment, we could find out who had, you know, who had the guts or who had the whatever to be able to make it here. And what Lazlo found was there was absolutely zero relationship, no correlation between those questions and the success at Google. So he completely changed it, and he started to ask. Humility-based questions. And he changed the culture to really focus on humility. And Google has been practicing that for about 10 years now. And you find Zappos has it in their, their values and Kellogg Company and Worldwide Technology and Teach for America. All these companies are starting to embrace this. So practically, you start to see humility in there. And then the research starts to pile in. So over the last decade, there's wonderful researchers out there who are talking about humility. Having this wonderful relationship correlation with all of these pro-social characteristics like perception and diversity and creativity, emotional intelligence and humility are connected, as you would imagine, engagement, fairness, forgiveness, generosity, intuition, performance, not only performance and how well people perform, but focus on performance in this process And then things like teamwork and systems thinking and well-being are all now being connected to humility. And then you start taking it one step farther and you start thinking, is there some common sense around this? And and it really is true. I mean, if you think about all the world's religions, the one core feature they have is humility. And and you start thinking about great leaders and you think about Benjamin Franklin and, and, you know, George Washington, James Madison. Abraham Lincoln, Fred List, Frederick Douglass, there's books and books and books that talk about humility as being their core characteristic and it it really resonated with me more recently when I started to look into those thought leaders who would be kind of out there writing books. So Simon Sinek and, and Dale Dale Carnegie and and Warren Bennis and Stephen Covey and Malcolm Gladwell, they all talk about humility not as a book but at some point in their books they talk about this. So Where it really resonated with me was there is very few characteristics that Google and Moses and Dale Carnegie and Ben Franklin all would suggest in leadership are important and that research would back up. And it tends to be humility in that that process. So there's just wonderful research. And and I think where it goes is this idea that we look at ourselves and then we look at the importance of others and then we look at the overall purpose and that kind of gets us to humility
0: how are you defining humility? Is there a definition that you use?
1: That's probably the best question I get. Cause like most of the time people don't study humility because of maybe even like a, a branding issue to some degree. Uh, we see humility as being like less than or lower than, and yeah. from a leadership perspective, people don't love that. I mean, they just, mm-hmm. they don't love that at all. So When I looked at a lot of the research that came out, and and once again, there's these wonderful researchers who are putting a lot of time and energy into this, kind of the common theme throughout all of it is this idea of having a proper perspective. So not, you know, uh, an accurate or a perfect perspective, but just this proper perspective of ourselves. So understanding who we are, a proper perspective of others, and then a proper perspective of The larger environment, our overall purpose, the bigger piece to that, kind of that systems piece to that. And and when I talk about that in this book, we have to start with, and it's almost counterintuitive, but we start with yourself and you start to understand that we are imperfect, incomplete, impermanent. And that's something we just don't practice at all in leadership. And and if I have one argument, and I, I think you... You, we have joked before about books that you would write about all the crazy, you know, theories or things that people say about leadership, but it really <laughs> is true. Yeah, And more. moreover, like, if you just go on LinkedIn for one day and look at the, like, one-sentence quotes that people post, they're insane. Like, they're insane. I saw one yesterday that when I was thinking about doing the podcast, and it said – leaders return their shopping carts. If you're too, if you're too big to do the small things, you're too small to do the big things. And you can look this up. I mean, it's, it's plastered everywhere. I will tell you, there is no research that supports that. If you don't take (laughs) your shopping cart up, you're not going to be a good leader. And I've done the research, the research about shopping carts in a parking lot. The only thing it suggests, and I did hours of research to find this out is that if The more shopping carts that are in a parking lot, the more likely people are to drop trash. That, that is the only research <laughs> that's out there. There's just no – but we present and everyone presents this idea of leadership as needing to be perfect. And, and Beth Kempton in this book called Wabi Sabi, she does this wonderful job of suggesting the biggest problem we have in maybe leadership right now is the these folks who come out and say, you know, I used to be screwed up. I used to not be perfect. But I learned the secret to being perfect. So if you take my training or my workshop, or if you read my book, you'll be perfect too. Yeah. And that couldn't be farther from, the, like, farther from the truth. It's what we battle every day as researchers, as people who are pushing a really complex human behavior subject of leadership. So in the book, I talk a lot about like imperfections, wonderful. Like it, it, it leads to this idea of growth and it leads to this idea of failure and it leads to all these pieces. And then I talk about Being incomplete and up until the moment you take your last breath, being incomplete in that process, there's gonna be like, I think it was like 580,000 sanitarians, people over the age of 100 in the next five years. So if you're gonna live to be 100, I'm 44 now, like I've only downloaded 44% of my life. If I was looking at my computer, you just got a new computer. If I'm looking at my computer, and I'm only at 44%. I'm like, my oh God, this is going to take forever. But yet, <laughs> once we turn 40, we're like, I know everything, shopping carts and leadership. So I talk a lot about that in the, the beginning with this idea of, of being in, you know, incomplete, imperfect, impermanent. And then once we can embrace that, we can embrace what we're really good at, some of our flaws. And then it gets to the point of having a proper perspective of others. How do we connect with others? And uh Someone I'm sure you know, Edgar Schein, talked a lot about humble leadership, and I had a chance to interview him. And he just does an amazing job of talking about the relationships that we don't have and how we only have those transactional relationships. And really, we need this caring relationship that kind of we understand the importance of others, others understand the importance of us, and we stop treating people as a means to an end, Mm -hmm. our end. But in fact, that we are a means to other people, or a means to the bigger organization, or purpose, or causes end. And then the the final piece is really understanding that transcendence and connecting to something bigger. And whether that's spirituality, and I talk a little bit about that. Whether it's nature, whether it's the planet, or whether it's our purpose, that's really where we need to get to. And that purpose has to be bigger than just self serving. And and you know, I think Simon Sinek and others talk about that a lot. But but when we're humble, when we're truly humble. That proper perspective of self leads to a proper perspective of others, which leads to that proper perspective of something bigger.
0: Hmm. We have my head going in a a bunch of different directions. I, I never would have defined it that way. And that's something I just love about the process of this podcast is that if you would have asked me in March, 2020, Hey, Scott, do you know a lot about leadership? I would have said, yes, of course. But week after week after week, as I'm talking with people like you from around the world with different perspectives, different areas of expertise, I'm just having my behind kicked. There's so much. There's so much. And it's really brought into perspective for me how little I do know. And so I love that framing and that phrasing because I'm kind of living it on a weekly basis as I'm talking with uh, individuals on any number of different topics, and I also, for some reason, my mind went to like, you know, adult development theory. So if you go to like Keegan, do I mm-hmm. need to be a, a, a avenue I would love to just kind of go down with this conversation is, does an individual's developmental level correlate with their level of humility? Because if I'm someone who's at a stage two and kind of that imperial stage in Keegan's theory of adult development, that's my level of mental complexity. Humility may not be on my radar as much as if I'm that level four who is seeing the larger picture and better understanding their own limitations. I just finished this book by Ray Dalio, incredible book, Principles for the Changing World Order. And he has just done this incredible research. Talk about exploring the context that we're living in. This guy is just incredible at doing that. But throughout, he's communicating it with a level of humility. This is imperfect. This is not complete. I've triangulated this with the world's best scholars and the world's best practitioners, but this is a work in progress. This is my my best thinking as of now. And I think it's just, it's disarming. And it it's, it's comforting in some ways when you're in the presence of someone that is not, uh, you know, presenting as if they've figured out the magic bullet. That doesn't, that doesn't exist.
1: You're a hundred percent right. And I think the research supports this idea of older individuals tend to be much more humble than younger. And if you think about when you were 20 and what you believed yeah. you knew, you knew everything. And then when you get to be older, you believe you don't know anything in that process. So I think <laughs> from a research standpoint, developmentally, there's things that happens, but if we just look practically at, at, at pieces you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin was a really great example of this. He he kind of growing up had a tremendous amount of misfortunes, failed businesses to a point where he he got to this place where he was like, I got to be a better person. So he came up with these these eleven different characteristics he was going to work on, and and they're yep. as you can imagine, kind of normal ones. So he, he presented them to a friend, and a friend said, like, Ben, you're never going to be able to do this. You're you're an idiot. You're like you're 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 just never going to. You know that kind of friendship that everyone has, yeah. and he said, yeah. "Why don't you throw humility on there?" Ha ha ha! And he did. And then every day worked <laughs> on just this to this point where he he kind of developed it over his lifetime in that process. And there's a tremendous amount of kind of conversation out there around, uh, you know, whether he was at meetings or engaging with people, he he would at first try to win, like he would win arguments. He was smart enough to win, but he would never change people's mind because they were so put off by it to the yep. point where he had to learn humility and being able to give in to the other side, because if he was able to do that, people were willing to listen to him and he was changing people's minds in that process. So it was that disarming of his like, yeah. he was smart enough to blow people away, but it never worked. And I think that's what you're talking about. I think with humility, it's a really important point to say when we get to this point of proper perspective, We often see like arrogance and overconfidence as being the opposite of humility. So, arrogance, overconfidence, let's just take overconfidence. Overconfidence is the opposite of humility. And I think that's the biggest mistake we make about humility because the opposite of overconfidence, and you don't want to be overconfident in leadership, but the opposite of that is like, you know, uh, lacking complete confidence and not being good. So, nobody wants that either. What I talk about with humility. In the book, is it's like that sweet spot. Aristotle called it the golden mean. There's a lot of people who've talked about it, but what humility does is it, it gives that proper perspective that we are not lacking of confidence, but we're not overconfident. We're like the perfect amount of confidence yes. on a spectrum in that process. And that's what our humility does. You are no more humble if you say, Gosh, I have nothing and I'm no good. And I'm sure the author didn't say, I have no idea what I'm doing, and don't read this no, book no, and no. I'm an idiot. No, I mean, he had the perfect amount of humility to say, I'm confident. But I'm not overconfident in, in the person. And I just got off a podcast a couple of days ago. And they asked me who I would you know have dinner with. And one of the people, uh, which i sure is on a lot of people's list, is this uh, Einstein. And the reason I would love to have dinner with Einstein is he was one of the most humble people in the world. He would consistently mm. say, like, everything I've done is nothing compared to the universe. Like, I know nothing. And all mm. I'm trying to do is know a little bit more in that process. And that's what kind of propelled him. The final story with this is Steve Jobs is a really good example of someone the first time around who had no humility at all. And and he was fired and. Crushed, crushed to some Mm -hmm. degree, and during that period of time, between the first time he served as Apple's uh, president CEO to the second time in that process, he found his biological mother. He went in and, and had a lot of coaching and engagements. And when he came around the second time, he was still narcissistic, but he had humility to match with that. So he had people who were saying to him, Steve, we need to listen to these people. And he would listen the second time around. Yeah. yeah. Bradley Owens from BYU did this amazing study where he looked at narcissists and compared them and narcissists There's some good traits in narcissism, um, a lot of bad traits, but there's some good, I mean, really confident, really engaged, know what they're doing, are great speakers. And what he found is that the, the kind of counterbalancing element that separated really poor leaders who were narcissistic compared to narcissism that works to some degree was this idea of humility, that they had someone that gave them feedback, that talked to them, that they could engage with. So what really is that kind of sweet spot in the middle that counterbalances the things on extremes.
0: Yeah. Go on the thought experiment with me. When is it not advantageous to display humility? What do you think?
1: You know, there's this idea that I, I believe if we're really going to get to a place where we can solve complex problems, it's going to be really important for us. When it's not good is in the current world we're living in now. And I ran into, I was doing a training. I'm sure you know this moment. You're doing a training and you're engaged and you're giving your research and you're like, things are flowing and it's great. And I had this, this gentleman from India raise his hand and he said, I came in humble. And everyone in my organization said, you're too humble. You need to be more cutthroat. You need to go after people. You are getting locked all over in this culture. And the truth is, whether we look at women leaders who naturally have humility, a lot of research suggests women have more humility than men in their practice, or you look at individuals who are coming from a more Eastern culture, bringing in humility, they really have difficulty in our culture, in our organizations who promote this idea of siloing and cutthroat and don't share answers and you need to do whatever you have to do to get ahead. So we need a shift so that we can embrace it. But at this point, we're not at it. And it's really hard for folks who try to practice it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine there's times where the uh, the, the person next to you is going to, to promote themselves, is going to not have that realistic perspective of self but yet they still advance.
1: <laughs> right? well, I mean look at our world around us, look at our politicians, look at look at our coaches, look at you know look at our business leaders. and it's funny the short-sightedness we have so people like Leahca or or even Jack Welsh to some degree is when they take over they're a, like in that short period of time are amazing. but then they, Leave an organization that just falls apart and doesn't do as well as it, it should, and and we don't think of that as being part of them. As soon as a coach is done after winning the Super Bowl, that's that's their legacy. It's not what they turned over or how the next person moved forward. Bruce Arians, who's down here in Tampa, you know, won the Super Bowl not too long ago, and he was he was going to stay on for another year, it, and mostly it was because Tom Brady was retiring and Tom Brady comes back and then Bruce Arians, he he leaves. And and a lot of the news down here in Florida is this idea is, oh my, he must have not liked Tom Brady. And he just came out recently and said, I could never leave my assistant coach with the quarterbacks we have now. So that's why I was staying, but because Tom's coming back, it's the perfect time to leave. The organization's in great hands. We're going to, who does that? Who doesn't say, boy, I'd love to take one more round with Tom Brady in this process or whatever. And that's from a leadership perspective, thinking about that future is just so humbling in that process. So I I think that's some of that point where we really need to understand how do we shift the culture and how do we start to look at leadership differently, not charismatic, not short-sighted, but really bigger in that process now that we've evolved. Well,
0: I think, I think, you said something in there that really resonated for me. It's just that that shift, right? Moving away from that that quote unquote great man, that yeah. alpha, and and of course there may be a time and a place, and there may be situations where someone does need to assert themselves and and display more alpha characteristics. And can they also switch gears back into uh, not that? And I think so. It, it's It's just a fascinating conversation. You know, as we begin to wind down, Matt, is there another kind of nugget that you would like to entice listeners with that kind of stood out for you as you explored this topic, just something that just kind of hit you hard? You were like, wow. Was there a moment that that occurred for you that you want to share with listeners?
1: Yeah, I think the one thing that I I really loved is... So I'm a teacher first. I love teaching. I know you love teaching. I'm not sure how you run your class exactly, but when students walk into my class, like I love that moment. I love building that environment. I, how are, how's your day? How, and every single one. And then I do that every single class in that process is is just like completely engage people as soon as they walk in, and then throughout the whole whole, whole practice. And it's worked really really well for me. I never knew why. I mean, I just it was something that you did. And then you start to, to, to read about this idea of social contagion. And we just had a pandemic, so a different kind of contagion in this. But this idea of social contagion <laughs> suggests, yeah, it suggests that we are tremendously impacted by the people we hang out with, and the people they hang out with. And that so we're more likely to be happy based on the happiness of others. And we're more likely to be obese based on the obesity of others. And we're more likely, and there's just so much research and just wonderful studies on this, but smoking is included in that. And not too long ago, once again, this, this Bradley Owens from BYU did some, some research into the the idea of would this apply to humility? Hmm. And it does, it does. The more likely you are to be humble, the more likely others around you are to be humble. So if you're going to build a culture or you're going to build a team, your humility and their humility depends on it. And it's not just one degree of separation. You always talk about the seven degrees from Kevin Bacon, but but, but all of the research suggests it's three degrees. So your boss has an impact on your kids or your boss has an impact on your wife. And, and you start mm. to think that way. And it's like, am I impacting the people I love most because of the environment that I'm in. And I think if we knew that more, we would practice more happiness and humility and engagement. It would really matter. And we would start to pick the places we work at and the teams we're on and the community we, we build around us because nobody, nobody wants to be a smoker and nobody wants to be obese. Like, but no one should want to be and put arrogance into their family. or So I found that, and that was just overwhelming to me of this, if we're gonna build great organizational cultures, if we're gonna build a great America, and, and, and we don't talk enough about this, and this is probably a whole nother podcast, we talk about the individual leader, but yeah. we talk about world leaders, like what type of leader are we as America? And, and, and do we, if we really thought about it, would we work for a boss Who was like America? And maybe we would, and maybe we wouldn't. But if we talk about it on a leader role that way, do we have the humility that we would want the leadership to have? And then how do we build that into our culture? Because, boy, I think whether it's gas prices or wearing a mask, and I come from Florida, so (laughs) wow, we could talk about that forever. But the divide that is us at this point in time needs a great deal of that sweet spot or humility to have conversations around.
0: Yeah, I I love that. That would you work for America?
1: (laughs) Yeah, would you work for America? That's I mean, would you work for America? That's exactly right. What's the good, bad, and ugly of that? Yeah. Well,
0: well, you know this. This whole conversation has reminded me of a quote from our friend, our mutual friend Tony Middlebrooks. And when he was on the podcast, you were kind of talking about setting the tone for a class and how do how do you walk into that space? And what he says to his students is, "I don't know better. I know different." And I think for me that that at least it, based on my limited understanding of this topic, I think it 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 doesn't devalue what he knows. He knows a lot, but he knows different. And together we're going to explore and together we're going to investigate and together we're going to try and better understand this topic. And I think for me at least... I have students listen to a podcast that I did with him and they just always, that just resonates like yeah. post after post, yeah. comment after comment. Students love that spirit because I think it enters the space in just this it's contagious way.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. contagious. Yeah, to
0: your point, right?
1: Yeah. Mm. Hey, can I ask I you a it. quick question? Um, yeah. Tell me, where, where, does, where does he work? Oh, that's right!
0: University of Florida, little go school, Gavers. little little school in um, uh, the south of the United States. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. Go Gators!
0: <laughs> they're coming up. They're they're they're, they're right. making a go of it, right?
1: Yeah. We have a, a lot of promise. We have a lot of promise. That's right. A
0: lot of promise. <laughs> uh, okay. Last question, sir. Please. What are you listening to? What are you streaming? What's caught your attention in recent weeks? Uh, It could have something to do with leadership. It could have nothing to do with leadership.
1: But what's caught your eye? Yeah. And I hope that you will confirm this. Writing a book is one of those labors of love. And you get into it and there's deadlines and you're just stressed and you're given everything. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm never going to talk about this topic again in my life. I think for the last couple of weeks, I have still loved this and still been engaged with this. I'm trying to find more pieces from a practical sense. So uh, doing a lot of reading around the idea of humility, but from other areas. So Beth Kempton is one of those that I talked about. Wabi Sabi is the book from a cultural perspective, talking about the, the perfection of imperfection. Um, but then also trying to find ways to tune out. And I'm trying to catch up on things like Ozark, which I really liked, and, and some others. Uh, I had to put all of those away and on the shelf during this process. So now it's a lot of uh, kind of binge watching and trying to watch this and that and, and, and enjoying my summer to some degree.
0: <laughs> well, we could we could look at we could watch Ozark through the lens of uh, humility. That would be an interesting
1: one. That, would <laughs> that be sure would. One. <laughs> that would. sure would. <laughs> that sure well, would.
0: Well, sir, I may see you in a couple of weeks and I'm looking I can't forward wait to that in Kansas yep. City. And uh, I, I will look forward to catching up. I really, really appreciate your time today.
1: Man, this was great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yes, yes. And I will put resources into the show notes. So listeners, you can tap in, you can connect to the work that Matt is doing and really investigate this topic a little bit further. I think it's a fascinating one. I love that definition. That's going to stick with me. Thank you, sir. Uh, Thanks so much, that. I am uh, really excited for my friend, Matt. And I think... This is a wonderful topic to explore. I think each one of us have to have humility on our radar as we engage in these roles, as we take on and assume leadership. And I think the definition is really just something I love, a proper perspective of oneself, one's relationship with others, and one's connection to something bigger. Something I have just really enjoyed about this podcast is when things just kind of stick and there's just been so many episodes where someone says something or defines something or phrases something in a way that just really, really sticks out for me, whether that's Chip Shoba saying, you know, this is a mountain with no top, or that is uh, Doug Lindsay kind of suggesting Bob Hogan's quote of who you are is how you lead. There have just been so many things like that that really stick out for me. And this definition is another thing, a proper perspective of oneself, one's relationship with others, and one's connection to something bigger. As always, thank you so much for checking in. Thank you for listening. Share this with others if you find it of value. And as always, be well. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro
1: you've been listening to Phronesis Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen